Welcome to the Best Boss Ever podcast. I'm your host, Christine LaPerriere, president of Leader in Motion. On this show, we're going to gossip about the best boss you ever had. We're going to hear stories about things that they did that helped you feel valued, helped you feel engaged, and really inspired you. We want to hear about the bosses that changed the way you look at everything. If you want to hear more, join me at christinelaperriere.com and sign up for our newsletter, The Whip. So welcome, Jamie. Thank you so much for being on the show. Oh, it's great to be here. I'm so thrilled that you are on the show. When I think of really great guests to bring on, I love to go back and reflect on leaders that I've known throughout my career. And we got a chance to know each other through CEO Global, as you were CEO of Tree of Life. And what I really admired was how many people respected and admired you. So out of that group of 100 CEOs and leaders, you were definitely one of the most admired leaders in that group. And so for me, when I ask the question, you know, who's your best boss ever? I feel like I go after the ones who are already admired by their peers in that way. It's nice of you to say. Thank you. Do you want to do any other introduction just to get us started? Tree of Life has been my passion for these last 23 years, having been the president for about 18 of those years. And now as vice chair, I'm just on the board and an advisor to the business. So and having just hired a new president to take over and working with her, her name is Lisa McNeil, and she is doing fabulous. Love having her on the team. I love it. That is excellent. So then just diving in, I want to know who was your best boss ever and why? I really come up with a lot of folks over the years, quite frankly, but there's two that really stand out. And it's been my most recent experience of these folks uh, that I've worked with and for very different reasons. One was uh, when I first came into this company and I just had someone I worked with and I came in sort of as the second in command, if you will, CFO. And the person I worked with at the time had hired me. He just had an all around knowledge of the business and was just so knowledgeable in just every facet of the business. And I just like the fact that you could take any sort of issue to him and have a discussion about it. And he would weigh in and not tell you what to do, of course, but he would weigh in and give you some things to think about. He very much let me do what I did and you know, say it out of my way. And, you know, and that's been mostly true in my career as I worked for people who sort of, you know, let me do what I do and pretty much stayed out of my way or else I wouldn't have stayed, right? Because that is the old adage, right? You don't quit a company, you quit the boss. You know, that's almost always true, but you really just quit people who don't let you do what you do. And, and so I've had the pleasure of working with a lot of people who let me do what I do. It's been fun. So when you think of that first boss that you had, though, who it sounds like he was a mentor, probably in some ways, or his style was very mentoring. What happens if you were on the wrong track or if you were headed down the wrong path? How did he help bring you back? Frankly, it was just very direct, right? He just said, we're off course here and we just need to get it back on course. Ultimately, there wasn't a lot of that, to be honest, in this particular situation. It just seemed to be a business that fit well with me and I fit well there. And and we were just able to, to achieve some good things. But that's the point. That's what mentorship's about, is helping you, setting out guidelines. I've always been a strong believer in setting goals and have alignment against goals. And then being very pragmatic about how we cascade those goals within the organization and making sure there's no room for error or misjudgment. So there's a lot of communication that has to go along that way. And so he was good at that. We knew what we needed to accomplish together and what we needed to accomplish individually. So it made for a, a good, healthy environment. Did you find that you also got autonomy on how you worked and when you worked and some of those things once you had really good alignment on the outcome? Almost always had that. 
And that's a great part too. I've almost always had, you know, I guess it's a part of, you know, I get to work when I want. Well, I worked a lot. So I guess that's what I wanted to. You know, when you fill the day with work and I always remember those feelings when you're driving home from the office and it might be eight o'clock at night and you, and you reflect back on what you've accomplished in the day, you feel good about it. I always felt good about that. I felt like I got a lot done and I would go back in the next day energized. So that was a good thing. And then who was that second boss that crossed your mind? Well, and that is the boss I work for today. Now, this gentleman runs an organization that is many billions of dollars. Uh, he's based in the U.S., you know, 5,000 employees, et cetera, something like that. What really struck me was when uh, they came in and bought our business, and they bought it many, many years ago now. I remember having the first conversation with him just before they closed on the transaction. He came up to Toronto, and we got together. He and the CFO of the organization came up. We met for dinner and drinks first. And as would be my norm, I start talking about the business, my love, my passion. And he said, well, he said, we don't, we don't need, I know about the business, or at least I know enough today about the business. What I don't know is, is who you are. And what I really want to know is get to know you as a person. And that has always stayed with me since that day, right? It is about, let's know each other as individuals. Let's know each other as people first and then honor and respect everything that we are as people. And, the, you know, the business is a part of who we are and what we do, of course. But, but first, it's about who we are as people. What a delightful conversation it was. Such a great point. So as he's gotten to know you as a person, how does that shape how he works with you? <laughs> I would have him come up to our annual sales and marketing meetings and we'd give him a half an hour to talk to folks. People always want to know how it's going in the mothership and how the U.S. is doing and and at the end of his address, he would always turn to me and he would say, and Jamie, keep writing those checks, right? Not that we ever sent them a check, but the reality is we were, we were, we were doing good things to the organization and the business was successful. And that's the way he, he just wanted to close his discussion with a little humor, obvious appreciation for what we do as an organization. Frankly, in the end, for the most part, I was not reporting to him. I was reporting to the CFO because when they bought the business, they really bought the business of our U.S., parent company. And Canada was a, not an afterthought, but a throwing, was not strategic to their intent. But six months after the deal, he had me come down and speak to the board of directors and talk to the board about who we are and what we are and what our future prospects are. At that point, we were no longer for sale. As he said to me, he said, now that we've fallen in love with your business and we understand it better, maybe you should report to me. And I said, no, no, I like reporting to the CFO. He's a great guy. We're both learning from each other. He wants to do deals. I want to do deals. And it has always stayed that way. Since then, this fellow and I have become very close friends. We've done many vacations together. So, you know, when we're away on vacation, we almost never talk business, but we know each other as people for sure. It's such a good example though. You know, sometimes when I'm working with leaders, they're kind of, like you said, they jump to the business conversation first. We always want to be really efficient and really purposeful about time. I find that, you know, by nature, we always jump in and talk shop right away. And I think it's interesting that he slowed you down and he prioritized getting to know you almost with the assumption that if he got to know you, he'd be able to do business with you better. Absolutely. Absolutely right. And so I've really tried to learn from that. I'm not good at it all the time. I sometimes get it right. But I always, in the end, find out more about people. You know, this, this is not just one person who just shows up at your office every day. These are people who spend most of their waking hours with you. And, you know, so that's why I've always looked at that and said, let's build a family culture in the organization so that it becomes a, a fun place to come to. I, I've always enjoyed when I hear laughing in the outside or in the office or wherever. 
and I will sometimes in my management, my walking around, wander in and to a group that's ha having some fun and I will have a laugh with them and, and just look at them and say, okay, permission to have fun. <laughs> permission to have fun. You know, this is kind of a nice segue. I'm curious, tell me a little bit more about the culture you created, because I think, you know, people listening are going, oh, family culture, we're allowed to have fun. Like, <laughs> tell, tell me more about that. It's really about purpose. We set out some years ago, maybe 11, 12 years ago, to create our own culture, if you will, create a culture that was purposeful to what we could be or should be, as opposed to that which just simply exists. So we wanted to be a little bit of our own design. And I really wanted it to be a values-based, performance-based culture. I think we had that, but they weren't well enunciated. And we have a quarterly meeting now where we talk to all of our new folks. A lot easier to do. I used to fly across the country to do this with all our places across the country, but now it's easier because we do it virtually. But every quarter we, we would sit and just talk to everybody who's joined the organization last quarter. And I would explain where the values came from. So our purpose at Tree of Life is helping Canada eat well and live well. And it's a, a purpose that allows us to say what we do in terms of bringing great foods to Canadians. People are engaged by the culture. They understand it. But that's not enough. I wanted to be values-based as well. So we did an exercise. I, I call it, to, it was from Jim Collins back when he was 1996. He wrote an article in Harvard Business Review, How to Bring Values and Purpose into Your Culture. And in there, he described something called the Mission of Mars. And the mission of Mars is something where you bring your people together and say, okay, here's the deal. I want you to think about this. We're going to have some people from Tree of Life go to Mars. And I want you to select who those, who's going to go. Now, understand that it's not about that they speak Martian or that Martians speak English. We're just going to get to know each other through our through observation and, and look at how we interact, right? And then we're just going to learn from each other. So who do you want to send on that trip? Pretty simple concept. Right? And I said, bring three names. So at the end, our management team got together. We had a two-day offsite. I think there was over 51 names on the board. But there was five names on the board that came up again and again. The discussion then turned, well, let's brainstorm. Let's do some word mapping around why you picked these people, right? Why these people were picked and what it is about them. And so out of that came our values. And our values are courage, accountability, improvement, balance, and excellence. They've been with us a long time. But that's what came out. And we, we were able to put descriptors around what those words were. And, you know, one day our CEO said to me, said, Jamie, why is it that your values in Canada are different from those in the U.S.? And I said, well, because ours are made in Canada. And they're from us. They're our people, right? They reflect who we are. He said, oh, because he thought maybe our values should be the same as theirs. And I said, yeah, but he respects the fact that Canada is a distinct culture from the U.S. And he asked me how we process we did. So they did the same thing in the U.S., they took a mission to Mars. Did they come up with any similar values or were they completely unique? No, they're very similar, quite frankly. Our parent company is faith-founded. So, you know, their, sub, their purpose is you know, serving and honoring God and everything we do. It's really about the golden rule of how we treat people. And, and, and that's where it really, that's the commonality, if you will, as I interpret it. So they, they have similar values around being humble, respectful, integrity. You know, we tithe 10% of our earnings so we to help the less fortunate. So that's how we honor our, our values. But people really get engaged, I think, by the fact that we have values. They really do. They really do drive what we do every day as a business. And our purpose certainly does that. Having a boss who allows you to do that is a very good thing. Bringing people along for the ride when you do that is very engaging. It's so interesting. And then I'm curious. So when you see somebody in the organization that is not aligned to those values, 
you know, help me understand what is it like to work in a very values-based organization, especially if somebody doesn't quite fit that mold? You have to make them real. Strategy is simple. Execution is difficult, right? This is just our strategy. We wanted to be purpose-driven. We wanted to be values-based. So the execution of that is something that just means you got to live in every day. So if you got people that are offside, you bring them to the game. I always take the opposite view of things. You know, there's an old adage in business that when HR philosophy from years and years ago that you should treat everybody the same. I've never believed that. I think you should treat everybody great. And great to you and great to me are likely going to be two different things, right? So people interpret these things differently. But what what we tried to do is we've created awards. I call them the love awards, living our values. Every month we talk about people who are living our values. Every month we we would talk about is there a situation that's arisen in the last period that you've heard we are, where we are not living our values? And those are fruitful discussions. They don't come up often, but when they do, they're great discussions. When are things in conflict with those values most often? I'm just curious. When do you notice there's actually sometimes a conflict with the values? Not very often do you think that you find things that are in conflict with the values. I've never believed in mission statements. I think they're worthless. You know, they're usually just words that say we're going to be the best. Well, that doesn't tell you how you're going to be the best. You know, I've always loved these statements that FedEx has, for example, is 9 a.m. next day guaranteed. Right? Simple. Everybody understands what it is. Everybody's job is that. Right. Uh, helping Kennedy while I live well was our purpose statement. I put a goal statement to that, and I call them Jamie's forever goals, likely because we'll never get there, but we should forever be pursuing them. <laughs> and I always make a joke about that. They're forever goals because just for that reason. But they are that we want this to be, to be the best place to work, and we want every customer and client experience to be a great experience. It just rolls off the tongue, and, and that comes back to me all the time when I was running the business. If we're going to make this the best place to work, then what about this? If we're going to make that a great client, experience or customer experience. What about this? That resonates with me right off the bat. I'm thinking to myself how much that would shape the way you make decisions every day. Those tiny little micro decisions, you can always bounce it off of a forever goal. You know, the hardest value that we have is called work-life balance. My definition of work-life balance is understandably different from someone else's. And as people deal with that, they say, you're not living up to your balance statement. You're not living to our value. And I said, you're right. It's the hardest thing to deal with. As I said, it's different for everybody. But just think about it this way. If that wasn't one of our values, how bad do you think it would be? It makes us think about it. It's, it's, it's driven our benefit plans. It's driven some of the flexibility we have around our work schedule. It's driven the fact that we are a family. We get that. And if there's a sick child at home, please deal with it. I've actually coined the phrase work-life wisdom because I call it, it's custom for each one of us. So my wisdom is exiting at 5.30 so I can spend quality time with my three and five-year-old. But your wisdom may be different. You know what I mean? You might choose to have dinner at seven o'clock at night or make sure that you get time with the cats. (laughs) Like it can be a very different version of what your wisdom is that tells you what you need to stay resilient. That's, that's exactly right. And that's precisely the point. If you want people to be engaged in what you do every day, you have to treat them as humans. You have to give them some flexibility, right? You have to treat them in the way you'd like to be treated. It is amazing how these all sound so simple, but in reality, for some reason, they're not, you know, I'm talking to a leader today whose boss wants her 
in the office at 7 a.m. working on something that he believes is time sensitive. And it's just so interesting when I think of how many leaders have lost sight of that, that it sounds obvious, but it's not. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and and the way I've always dealt with that is to think about, there's always things you need to get done. You have to have a performance culture. You know, one of the best ways to drive performance is by putting milestones and deadlines in place. You know, the, you know, the times when you are the most productive ever is the week before vacation. Or when you have a deadline, you know, just uh, um, sometimes, uh, you know, I would put artificial deadlines in place. Yes, I want to get things done. But, and I would always ask a person, when do you think you can have that done by? I may be thinking three weeks is great. They are almost inevitably going to say something less than three weeks. And we end up something we're in between probably. So allowing people to set their own deadlines, which is what my bosses have done for me, right, has been a great learning experience for me. It will get done. It will get done in that time frame, and it will get done right. So tell me about your worst boss. I haven't had a lot of them, for one, but I, I guess I should call it the guy who fired me as my worst boss. I was working for a company that, well, it was one of those companies when you walk in, it was too good to be true. When, you, when I looked at the financial statements, all of it was good. But when I actually got inside the doors, I saw that they were basically insolvent. The good news is we figured out a way to get us out of that situation. And I was a big part of how that got figured out, I would say. And But one day he came into my office and he fired me on the spot and he didn't tell me why. And I had no really no idea why. I found out later that some people had positioned me as that I should be taking over the business. And it was his private business. I mean, it was never even in the scope of my mind that I would do that. So in the end, it wasn't a great experience. But through the process, spent about two years there. We took a business that was basically insolvent and turned it around and got it fixed and put it in a good place. And if there's ever a way that for young people as they're starting in their career and they're in a crisis situation, learning how to sail a ship when the ship is on fire is a great experience. It's not fun while you're there, but it's it's a great learning experience. And it is the, the baptism on fire. I think that is an excellent piece of wisdom right there too. I think of different situations that I've been in where that's extremely challenging. To your point, they're the biggest education. Anybody can sail a ship in smooth seas, as they often say. So knowing that this show gets a lot of listens from people who are just entering into leadership, are currently in leadership, and or ones who are trying to be better leaders, just share with me kind of... (laughs) I I think you probably have hours of words of wisdom, but as many things as you can that they need to hear right now. Well, the best leaders I've worked for, there's been a common bound, and that's been that they love to learn, and they want you to learn. As you think about your career, as we talked a little bit earlier about being purposeful about your career, part of being purposeful is making sure that you're learning everything you can along the way, right? That's going to prepare you for your next role, whether it's in the current organization or whether it's outside the current organization. But as long as you're learning every piece, then you're in a good place. I look for a boss who is, who is a lifelong learner. And that's how you're going to be able to lead people and, and have a successful career, by learning as much as you can along the way. Being part of the CEO Global Network, as you and I were, it's just a hotbed for learning. It's what we do, right? And we, we help each other. And, you know, with problems that, that we have that are often a similar but different problem that we have each other, the perspectives you get from being able to talk to other people about it and the learning you get from that is just fantastic. So that is the other thing for a young leader, get a mentor, get somebody who is 
you can speak to, maybe in the same organization, but perhaps not. I've done some mentoring of some people from other organizations, and I've learned a lot from them as well. I love mentoring a younger person because how much do I learn from a younger person, right? It's fantastic. Keeps your mindset malleable and flexible too, right? Precisely. You know, the thoughts of a younger consumer are quite a bit different from where I'm thinking, not to mention the, the, the challenges we have around technology and how much fun we have with that. I quite enjoy technology. I'm bound to determine not to be a dinosaur because I love this stuff. But I bet that mentoring of youth, again, you know, you have so much wisdom to share. They're keeping you, you know, young and thinking about different age groups and the way different brains operate. So that's kind of a win-win for everybody. Absolutely. Well, Jamie, thank you so much. Like I said, I'd love to pick your brain for hours. Maybe we'll have to have you on again. So thank you so much. I really appreciate it. It's been great, Christine. Very nice talking to you. If you want to hear more, join me at christinelaperriere.com and sign up for our newsletter, The Whip.